Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Thank you so much. You may be seated. <laughs> uh, it's good to be in the Lord's house. Thank you. Thank you for um, the, warm, the warm reception. Uh, really, I'll be honest with you. I don't know anything about Pastor Appreciation Day. I know that tomorrow is, uh, when I was growing up, it was Columbus Day. Now it's, it's got a bunch of different names, uh, but uh, I will still be on the job tomorrow. Praise the Lord. Lord willing, I'll be on the job. And, uh, but thank you so much. Thank you so much for your kindness and, and thoughtfulness to recognize me. But I, I, I want to digress a little bit. Uh, there's a staff. There's a staff that does a lot of the work, uh, and so we ought to recognize the staff. Let me just mention them first. Larry Owens is sitting over here. Uh, he and his wife, missionaries for many years in Zambia and Sierra Leone, came back. We're blessed to have Larry and Jackie helping out with the ministry. Uh, would you recognize them? I know Jackie's upstairs. Uh, I'm thankful for them. I know that I will not, she's probably gone back to the four and five year old's room, but uh, Abby Lawson, uh, let me just tell you, Abby has a thankless job. Uh, many times, ladies, you know, she's the one that calls and asks for your help uh, to supply workers for our nursery. By the way, if you haven't had the wonderful opportunity of serving in the nursery, let me encourage you, don't wait on Abby to call you, give her a call. Man, there's nothing like, nothing like serving the Lord. And you know, I believe there's a special place in heaven for people who serve in the nursery. Uh, it, it may seem thankless. No, I'm, I'm very, very serious. Uh, I remember when our oldest son was born, uh, my wife and I were so uh, active in ministry here. We came and uh, Miss Sally, Miss Sally was over in the nursery and uh, I remember from week number two, uh, week number one, we were a little selfish. Colby stayed with us. Uh, week number two that we were here, we turned him over to the wonderful care that was given to him over in the nursery. And you know, it was in the nursery and in the toddler rooms that my son learned basics. Like God loves you. Like God created the heavens and the earth. You know, things that are important that children learn. And so, uh, very, very thankful for Abby's work. And so, would you uh, recognize Abby? Although, make her hear us. Make, us. make her hear us. There you go. I'm very, very thankful for Carl Pearson. And he won't like me recognizing him. Yeah, he's hiding from me. I, I can walk this way, Carl. You can't hide. He, he kind of went like this when I said his name. He's like... Uh, but he's sitting out in the, in the foyer, and, uh, and uh, I, I want to tell you, I love Carl. Carl is a great asset to the church, and, 
and we've had many conversations about him uh, retiring. And I said, don't you retire until we know all the secrets, Carl, where you keep all things, right? And so uh, he, is, he is a wonderful, wonderful asset, and I'm very, very thankful. Would you recognize Carl Pearson? Yeah. And I want to say this, I'm very, very thankful for a young man that God brought along into the life of this ministry eight years ago. And uh, God was working in his heart before then. I don't take credit for anything, but uh, I remember being at a pastor's meeting and receiving a text from a one Travis Evan Owens. And he said, Pastor, I believe God's calling me into ministry. And I, I can dare say he probably did not appreciate my next text. And I said, well, I said, if the Lord's calling you into ministry, it's time to prepare. And I said, we need to get you started in Bible college. <laughs> and I, I said, let's, I, I think the way I put it was, it's time to put some hustle behind that muscle. And, uh, and uh, started a journey of, of what the Lord would do in his life. And I want you to know, this past week, it was an honor for me to go to a pastor's meeting in the Midwest and to take Travis with me. And everywhere Travis went, he would introduce himself as a youth pastor, and I would back it up and say, you know, he's a lot like an executive pastor, an associate pastor, a youth pastor, everything kind of pastor. And that's how I feel about Travis. And I'll be honest with you, I love him like he's my own, and I love Megan, and I love Jeremiah just as if they're my own as well. And so would you, would you say thank you on behalf of me to Travis? And then it goes without saying, uh, without Jesus, I'm nothing. But without my wife standing beside me, there's no way that I could do what I do. Uh, she puts up with a lot. Don't everybody say I know all at once. She puts up with a lot. She encourages me more often than probably one human should need. But she does. She encourages me. And when things, when the, you know, the saying is, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Well, in my life, when the going gets tough, my wife reminds me that there's a God above that's got control of it all. And so I'm very thankful for my wife who helps out a tremendous amount that basically uh, orchestrates all the administrative aspects of upward basketball and many other things. And so would you uh, thank her on my behalf as well? I want, to, uh, I want to say thank you to each of you who came out last week, uh, who made it a priority to be a part of our missions revival. Uh, some of you were able to be here for our candlelight service, and I kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit to some people early on what the initial faith promise was. By the way, we ended the year uh, giving the faith promise last year. We ended our last year right at $397,000. Uh, for the cause of worldwide missions. That's tremendous. By the way, that doesn't even make sense. But what doesn't make sense is how God continues to use this little church on the hill. And our faith promise commitment for this year, uh, after a couple that came in after Sunday morning service, 
Uh, do you guys have that slide? There's the new faith promise commitment uh, for this year. That blows my mind. But um, what, what, what is exciting to me is there were 174 commitment cards. Out of the 174 commitment cards, 51 people decided to increase their faith. 53 people, that's what I get excited about, 53 people decided to exercise some faith and be first-time givers to missions all around the world. And so I'm very thankful for that. Amen. Speaking of missions, if you have your Bible, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1. But speaking of missions, I want to encourage you this Wednesday, if you guys can show that slide uh, for this Wednesday, uh, Ira and Angela Walton will be here with us. Uh, Ira and his dear wife, he's the pastor of Crenshaw Community Baptist Church in Laverne, Alabama. We have sent missions teams three separate occasions to go down and to partner with Ira and his dear family uh, with Camp Legacy there in the Alabama Baptist Seminary. He will be with us on Wednesday night. If you are able, if you are breathing, I ask you to be here on Wednesday night. We'll be back in the fellowship hall, and uh, I know that that will not only be an encouragement to you, but it'll be an encouragement to Ira. And all those who have been down to Camp Legacy know that to be true. And so I ask you to join us on Wednesday night. I ask you to be in prayer. By the way, we have something to celebrate this morning. Amen. Uh, maybe some of you saw it on the Facebook news. Uh, Liam James Walkowski made his triumphant entry into the world yesterday. Amen. And uh, Chris and Amber, the baby, everybody's doing well. And Grandpa is still sitting upright back there running our audio this morning. Man, that's exciting. Amen. And... Uh, I didn't, I didn't have permission to put his picture up, so I didn't want to throw his picture up uh, this morning, but uh, he is a cutie, and I look forward to seeing him. And then I want to ask you, as we praise the arrival of Liam James, I also want to ask you to be praying for those who are awaiting test results, those who are getting ready for surgeries, and then I'm going to ask you specifically to be praying for Gordon Jacobs' dear mom. Uh, she suffered a fall uh, this past week, broke uh, five or six ribs. Uh, she is in Fairfax Hospital, had some other issues uh, with her kidney function and whatnot. And so I know that that would be uh, a blessing to Gordon and his sister and the family. And so if you would pray for his dear mom, I know that that would be a blessing. Deuteronomy chapter one this morning. And uh, I want to speak to you on the topic or the, the, the idea, the theology, the theology of change. And as you're turning, it's important to know as we get to Deuteronomy chapter 1, that Moses, he's actually recalling all of God's commands and he's actually reviewing the journey. Remember the journey that the children of Israel took as God called Moses to go into Egypt and he says, hey, I want you to lead my children out of Egypt. And Moses is like, hey, listen, I don't even know how to talk. How am I going to do that? God said, you go. I'll give you the words to speak. Well, you really don't understand. I don't know how to talk. Well, you just go. I'll send Aaron. He can help you out. So anyway, long story short, God uh, brings the children of Israel out. By the way, Moses didn't bring them out of uh, Egypt, excuse me. God brought them out of Egypt, amen? And so he's recalling all of God's commands in the journey of the children of Israel, and he's interpreting what had taken place through the years. Now, uh, as we're getting ready for this passage, it's important to know that the previous generation is now dead. 
Um, the, with the exception of Caleb and Joshua, uh, those were the two that actually believed God. You remember they sent spies into the land and they saw that it was a land flowing with milk and honey and they came out, they were carrying the grapes of Eshel and uh, I always love to think about this, this scene when they come out of the land and they're carrying the grapes and I always think about it, it's like the, they're like, oh, we, oh, 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 we, oh, you know, like, they're, they're trekking, and uh, they tell the people, man, it's amazing, it's, it's wonderful, it's all this and more, and what God has said is true, it's a beautiful place, but, and then they started making up reasons why they were unbelieving, why they wouldn't trust God to go in, and so for nearly 40 years, the leaders and the people had not executed faith or belief, and the ramifications were tragic. And as you notice here in our text, since that time, God has been raising up a new generation. And finally, it's time to enter the promised land. And through Moses, he's kind of reminding the people of what had taken place in the past so that they don't make those same mistakes in the future. And so uh, let's look at verse 1 and following and see what the Lord has for his church this morning. Look at verse number 1. And the Bible says, These be the words which Moses spake unto all Israel on this side of Jordan in the wilderness, in the plain over against the Red Sea, between Paran and Tophel, and Laban and Hazaroth and Dizahab. There are eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. And it came to pass in the fortieth year, in the eleventh month, and on the first day of that month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel according unto all that the Lord had given him in commandment unto them. After he had slain Sion, the king of the Amorites, which dwell in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, which dwelt in Astaroth and Edrei. On this side, Jordan, and in the land of Moab, began Moses to declare this law. Notice, saying, verse number 6, The Lord our God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, You have dwelt long enough in this mount. Turn you, and take your journey, and go to the mount of the Amorites, and unto all the places nigh thereunto, in the plain, in the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and by the seaside, and to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, and unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Behold, I have set the land before you. Watch what God is saying. He's saying, behold, it's right there before you. Now go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give unto them and to their seed after them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the songs that we have been able to sing, songs about how great you are, Songs about how worthy you are. Lord, we thank you for the children who sang out with hearts of praise. God, as they lifted up their voices to you, Lord, I pray that it was a sweet, a sweet sound to your ears. Lord, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for a church that loves you. And Lord, I'm thankful for people that love you. Lord, I pray that today that as we consider a simple thought... Lord, that you'll do what only you can do, that you'll direct our attention where it needs to be directed. Lord, if there's, if there's change that needs to take place in our life, Lord, I pray that you will be that agent, that agent of change. 
through the teaching and preaching of your word and the wooing of the Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that if there's somebody in this room or somebody watching that's heard a lot about you, that's heard a lot about Jesus, but they have never, never, ever trusted and received that greatest gift of all, Lord, I pray that today that you will do what is impossible with men, but not impossible for you. Lord, I pray that you'll change their heart. Lord, I pray, pray that you would draw those who may have been changed. Father, maybe they have stayed put. May they haven't, maybe they haven't been changing. And so, Lord, I pray that you have your will and your way and that your word will accomplish exactly that which you have desired on this day. And, Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all of it. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray and for his sake. Amen and amen. Well, I want to begin with a simple statement. And that statement is the theology of change. Now, stay with me because I know some of you are saying, well, uh, I, I'm not changed one iota. Well, that may be a problem, sir, or a man. But the theology of change actually means that nothing will ever be the same. In fact, we can go to Scripture. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, all we need to do is look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 that says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, right? If he be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. In other words, the old has become new, darkness has been replaced with light, and as sinners, we are made saints through no effort of our own. Amen? If Hold on. We are made from sinner to saint through no effort of our own. Amen? If you think that you have done something spiritually to attain, obtain your salvation, you are sorely mistaken. The only one who changes lives is Jesus Christ, the righteous. With him, with him, our filthy rags are made clean, right? Our righteousness is filthy rags, but with him we are made clean. And so when Jesus comes in, a theology of change actually takes place in our lives. And the reality is that this church has been consistently and faithfully preaching and teaching God's word for nearly 42 years. But the reality is that since 1980, Battlefield has been changing. Do you know that? Battlefield's been changing. Yeah, I know it's been changing, brother. You've been pastor nine years. It's really changed. Let me tell you, this church changed from 1980 to 2013, right? It's always changing. Why do I say that it's always changing? It's a consistent place of change because lives change. Lives change by the power of the gospel. And when lives change, the church family changes. Do you look around to your left and to your right? Let me ask this. Who in this room could stand up and say, I know every person in this room? To our shame. We ought to get to know one another. Amen? Hey, you know what? I know who my wife is. I better. <laughs> I know who my children are. I better. We ought to get to where we know one another. But see, when life changes... Things change, the church family change, it grows, it expands. We have someone sitting in our midst, Barry Green, who was here for many years, but guess what? The church changed when Barry, right, when you guys, when you got up out of uh, Manassas Park and you moved, you, you took your oasis out to Missouri. And so guess what? It changed for them, but guess what? A little bit of battlefield went with Barry and Carol. 
when they went out to Missouri. And so it changes, church family changes, staffs change, ministry partners change, people come, people go, and on and on we could go. But here's the deal, positionally, as believers, we never change. Are y'all with me this morning? Are you awake? Say, I'm awake. I just have to hear, all right? Positionally, we never, never change. But biblically and practically, we must always be changing. In Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, God says, I am the Lord, I change not. Isaiah 40 and verse number 8 puts it this way by saying, The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God shall stand for how long? Isn't that good? Aren't you glad that God doesn't change? His word never changes. In fact, we can go to 1 Peter in chapter 1 and verse number 23. The Bible reminds us that we are born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which lives and abides how long? Oh yes, God and his word. They never change. And I don't know about you, but that's a constant source of encouragement to me that this book is not going to change. It's not going to be edited. It's not going to be altered. By the way, if it is edited or altered and you're around a church that is editing or altering the Word of God, you need to get out now. You say, man, I'm just visiting. Well, you need to find whether you live in this area or not. Man, love to have you come to Battlefield. But wherever you're looking for a church family, you, I want to encourage you to find a church that actually reads and heeds the word of God, not some other mumbo-jumbo of man, because it'll always leave you wanting. Oh yes, the word of God never changes, but we're always to be changing. And might I add, we should be changing for the better. Anybody say, hey, I'm going to be honest, you can do a holy grunt. Don't raise your hand because then you're thinking, everybody's looking at me. Have you ever changed for the worse? Yeah, a lot of grunting, a lot of groaning. Have you ever changed for the worse? You're like, oh man, I blew it there. How many say, hey, there have been times, you be honest and say, Pastor, there have been times I blew it. Anybody? Is it just me? Nobody else blew it? Only 12 of you blew it. <laughs> Room of hundreds and only 12 blew it. <laughs> right? Uh, we blew it. Man, we blow it all the time. It's been said that God calls us. God calls us to be changed, to embrace change, and to be agents of change when I think about it once our identity really changes so do our beliefs if you've been changed by Jesus then your beliefs change and here's the deal if your beliefs change then your response to this will change see my response before Jesus came into this was nothing it's like I would hear it and be like okay yeah I, I hear it but guess what? I had not been changed on the inside. So guess what? I just heard it as words, as if somebody was reading and trying to shove something down my throat. But when my life was radically changed by the power of the gospel, when I started reading these words, my response to this word changed. Amen? And I dare say that when our identity changes and our beliefs change and our response to the word of God changes, here's what begins to change also. The impact of our influence changes. Instead of impacting someone for bad, we have the opportunity to impact somebody in a good way. And so change is all around. That's why God's plan and desire is that you and I conform more to the image of Jesus Christ. That's Romans 8 and verse 28 and 29, excuse me. 
We should also be growing in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18. We ought to be, as Travis preached a couple of weeks ago, we ought to be representing Christ well. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 20, we're said, said that we are now ambassadors for Christ. We are representing Him. And the reality is if we're going to represent Him, then we have to live by faith. If we walk by sight, see this is what the children of Israel were doing. You see, they sent the spies into the land, and they came out, and they said, Oh, it's everything you said it was, God. It's going to be amazing. But then they started thinking, Oh, but all the, all the ites are in there. You know, all the ite peoples. You know, got the Amorites, and the Amalekites, and the Jebusites, and the Thisites, and the, and the, you know, you can fill in all kind of blanks there. And they said, We can't go in there. They're too big. They're too strong. We, we look like little grasshoppers in their midst. Do you know there are a lot of grasshoppers that make a fine living? I haven't killed every grasshopper I've ever seen. In fact, I'm not sure I ever got a grasshopper, right? They, they just move around and have their being. And yet the children of Israel were like, oh, this is who we are. We're going to get squashed. We're going to be put out. And so they stopped believing. They stopped trusting God. And we're not going to reread or recount the whole story of what took place. But this passage is a vivid reminder of what takes place when failure and rebellion are in our midst. By the way, you know what the only failure is? It's not getting up after you fail. See, we can fail all we want. I wouldn't say make it a habit or a career move. Like, hey, this is my career. I'm going to fail all the time. No, but when we fail, and you will the cool thing is, get back up and see God, who is a God of second choice, chances, and third, and fourth, and fifth, and on and on. Oh, what a Savior we serve, amen? Verse 6, notice what Moses says. He says, the Lord God spake unto us in Horeb, saying, you have dwelt long enough in this mount. In the Christian Standard Bible, the, the, it basically bluntly says it this way. It says, you have stayed at this mountain long enough. Some of us have stayed at this mountain long enough. And I'm not talking about Battlefield Baptist Church. I'm talking about the mountain of whatever you are feeling is a, a zone of safety and security for you. The mountain that maybe you're dealing with in some other realm. A mountain of discouragement, a mountain of depression, a mountain of isolation. Man, we, we are living in a season of isolation. I mean, it started in March of 2020. And do you know that there are still people who are choosing not to do life with other brothers and sisters in Christ? They're still, still not out and about, except for on Monday through Saturday. Some of y'all will get that in a minute. But when God says through Moses that you have dwelt, look at verse 6 again, you have dwelt long enough in this mount. He says, what he's saying, hey, it's time to get moving. It's time for your inactivity to be over. This is the time to walk by faith and not by sight. Remember, years ago, they actually walked by sight. They came out and said, nope, we can't go in. And Moses, he's getting ready to go off the scene. By the way, what a sad state. Everybody's getting to go into the promised land except for Moses. Why? Because instead of speaking of the rock, he struck the rock. That's a sobering thought, too. Sin has consequences. I say all the time, we make choices and choices make us. Look at verse number 7. The Bible says, turn you and take your journey 
in a sense, that's exactly what you and I are doing today. We are running the race that has been set before us. That's why, as Hebrew 12, 1 says, we need to set aside or lay aside any sin which does so easily beset us and run. Folks, God is an active God. Would you say God's active? God is an active God, therefore we should be active too. I think about, and I was, I was trying to, and, and I'll do a better job maybe uh, in the future, but we were, Travis and I were talking on the plane, and I was reading this passage, and then I was thinking about, you remember in John chapter 1 when John says, hey, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Well, the next day uh, they see Jesus again, and he says, hey, behold the Lamb of God. And Andrew and the other disciple, uh, Andrew goes up to Jesus, and, and he basically says, hey, he says, uh, where do you dwell? Well, you remember what Jesus says. He says, come and see. It's an impetus that reminds me that even back then, Jesus wasn't just looking for the come and sit crowd. He was looking for the come and see and then the come and serve. You say, why do you get that? Because the very first thing that Andrew did was he went and he found his brother and he brought him to Jesus. He didn't come and sit. He didn't say, wow. He didn't go and say, man, wow, how amazing is this? Look, there goes Jesus. Wow, that's pretty cool. Wow. Oh, hey, Jesus, you're going to change my life? That's cool. Wow. No. You know what he did? Once he realized it was the Messiah, he went. He left. And he went and he got his brother. And he said, listen. He says, we have found the Messiah. He says, you got to come and see him. Oh, listen. This is exactly what we need to be involved in. We need to understand that this theology of change means that everything is always moving. It's always changing. And nothing stays the same. Listen, I don't look like I used to look. Do I, babe? I mean, at one time, man, this guy was looking good, wasn't he? Hello, I don't hear you. Yeah, you ever seen that phone commercial? where the lady's talking about getting change or something. She says, yeah, I really deserve this. I deserve this. And then the guy says, yeah, I deserve it too. And the girl just looks at him and goes, mm, I don't think so. Here's the idea, guys. I don't look the same. And I'll be honest with you. Anybody feel me on this? My body doesn't feel the same. Not all of us can be Mike Smith's. I mean... You know, Mike, I mean, bless your heart, but I got news for you. A change is a coming. <laughs> you might be looking strong and you might be looking buff now, but a change is coming, buddy. Hey, hey, Mike, this is your future. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 20, Anybody remember the parable of the workers in the vineyard? You remember that parable in Matthew chapter 20? Jesus goes and, and he's telling the story. It's a, it's a, truth, a story with the truth so, uh, thrown alongside is the meaning of parable, cast alongside it, right? So he goes, and he, he goes into the marketplace and what does he find? He finds a bunch of people just standing around idle. He says, why are you standing around idly by? Can I tell you, church? God has not called us to stand around idly by. In that parable, 
They hire the laborers and they come in. Now, you can get a lot of lessons from that parable. You know, the one who's hired at the morning, he's mad because the guy in the afternoon gets the same wage, although he agreed for the same wage. Do you know what? I'm okay if you get saved today. I'll be just happy as a pig in slop. You know, the Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner that repents. And so, man, if you're not saved today, just get saved today so there could be just a rejoicing party in heaven. But here's the deal. I've been saved since 1980. And I don't believe that I deserve more than you if you get saved today. Oh, yeah, we can all get rewards and cast those crowns back at Jesus' feet. But guess what? I want you to go to the same heaven that I'm going to. And I'm okay with that. Jesus doesn't want anybody to stand around idly by. He was calling people to work in the vineyard. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Because in the, the same desire is seen in Philippians chapter 2. Notice this in verse number 12. Philippians chapter 2, drop down to verse number 12. Typically we go a little bit before there, but drop down to verse number 12. And Paul, notice what he writes. He says, wherefore, my beloved. He's talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ. He says, wherefore, my beloved. He said, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Not just when I'm there. I don't want you just to serve the Lord while I'm there where, you, where I can see you. And you're like... Anybody ever put on a show for Jesus? It ain't about me being there, he said, but I want you to do it even while I'm gone. But watch what he says. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Now, by the way, this is not speaking, these verses are not speaking about the loss of salvation. It's not speaking about earning your salvation. And it's not speaking about living your life in this constant, continuous state of anxiety and fear that the next thing you do, everything's going to crumble. That's not what it's talking about in this passage. Notice, by the way, Losing your salvation, earning your salvation, and living your life in a continuous state of nervousness, anxiety, and fear. Why is it not saying it? Because the Bible never contradicts itself. And if it were meaning that, watch this, if it were meaning that, then it would attack all the various words that God through Paul had written everywhere else about having a peace that passes all understanding, about having courage and confidence in the Lord. And so we have to be careful when we read a passage like this where it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, that we don't take it away and misinterpret it and say, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my salvation if I don't do this. Oh my gosh, I have to earn my salvation. That's not what the scripture is teaching here. It's a call for you and I as believers to live. Look at verse 12. Look at the phrase, work out. By the way, again, this is an interesting little phrase too because if we're not careful, we'll misinterpret it, right? Salvation is a gift. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith, right? And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift. And so we have to understand this idea of work out. And so the idea that Christ, he lays down his life as a sacrifice, the reality is you and I have been bought back. We have been redeemed, amen? Are you thankful you've been bought back? Let me ask you, do we have believers in this room? Are you excited that you're headed for heaven? Hmm. 
When Jesus laid down his life, when he allowed, allowed himself to be nailed to the old rugged cross for my sin and for your sin and for the sin of the world, whosoever will, I get it. God knows who's going to trust him. I get it, guys. We ought to be excited about that. If you have Jesus, you ought to be excited because you have been redeemed. You have been bought back. We have been justified. You know, justified means just as if I never sinned. Do you know when I was a kid, my dad never said that I was justified when I made a mistake. We like to say made a mistake instead of sinned. You know, there was a, there was a punishment for my poor behavior and poor choices when I was a child in the home. But with Jesus, aren't you glad? The Bible says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. In God's eyes, through Christ, it's as if I never sinned at all. That's not, that's not getting my halo on too tight. That's just biblical. Oh, man, we've been redeemed. We've been justified. We've been sanctified positionally. Remember, in Christ, nothing changes. Listen, the idea of working out reminds us of this continual working out of our salvation through obedience with the divine help of the Holy Spirit. Listen, I can't do anything without Christ working in and through me. And neither can you. That's what it's talking about here. Look over across the page. Actually, I flipped back. But look back over across the page at Philippians chapter 3. Because Paul gives us an actual example of the goal. What the goal of changing actually looks like. So what is, what is this theology of change? What's the goal of change? Or what's the goal of becoming more like Christ? Remember I said conforming more to the image of Christ. Growing in the knowledge and understanding of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And becoming an uh, ambassador for Him. So what does it look like, this process of change? Well look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, brethren... In verse number 13, I'm sorry, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now just pause right there, put your finger right there, forgetting those things which are behind. Now draw your eye over to verse number 4 for me in same chapter, because here's what Paul is forgetting. In verse number 4, he says, Though I might have also confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I the more. He says, hey, if I was going to look back and trust in what I could do, I'm the one that could do it before anybody. Notice what he says here in verse number 5. He says, verse number 5, he says, I the more, he says, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law. He said, I was blameless. Now watch what he says. But what things were gained to me, those... I counted loss for who? For Christ. Now go back to verse number 13. Paul says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And here it is. I'm changing. He says, I'm always moving forward. I'm always changing. He says, because I'm reaching forth under the things which are before. I don't know what's going to happen today. 
I don't know what's going to happen in 10 minutes. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. And neither did Paul. But Paul said, here's what I'm going to do. I understand that the theology of change is working in my life. Because there was one time I was headed out to persecute Christmas Christians. But then God got a hold of my heart on that road to Damascus. And my life's been changed ever since. He sent me out into Asia and trained me on a three-year Bible college tour. And now my life has been irreverently ever, forever and ever changed. And I'm pressing toward. Look at verse 14. He says, I'm pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. The theology of change means that nothing ever stays the same. Look back at verse 12 of chapter 2. You see the word, the phrase workout. Look at the word fear. The word fear speaks of having a reverence of respect. By the way, a lot of people say, well, with fear, working out your salvation with fear, or does that mean that we have to walk around scared? Oh, 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 I'm scared of what's going to happen. No, that's not what he's saying. The Bible is consistent. If you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 15, Paul's actually talking about the fact that Titus was actually really gratified. He was encouraged when the Corinthian church received him with fear and trembling. So what is fear talking about? It's talking about a reverence or a respect. And so Titus was like, hey, this is pretty cool. When I went to the church at Corinth, they actually respected me. Even though I wasn't Pastor Paul, they respected me. They received me. They encouraged me. Paul actually said the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 3. He says that when he went to the church at Corinth, that he came in weakness and in fear, and with much trembling. By the way, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe it is, isn't it Paul who says, when I am weak, I am made strong. Oh, he went in weakness. Was Paul, was Paul nervous that there were people who had tried to kill him before? I'm sure there was a little bit of fear, a little bit of human fear that came over him, but that's not what he's talking about. He says, I came with you in weakness because when I'm weak, I am made strong. I came to you in fear. I came to you with this reverence or this respect for God. And I came with you in much trembling. And the word trembling points to this attitude that you and I should be pursuing this goal of working out our salvation all the time. By the way, it's okay to have a healthy fear and a healthy awe of God in everything we do. Why? Because in everything we do, we should be wanting to please Him. Right? No soldier, this is a different message, but from 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, the Bible talks about there's no soldier who entangles himself or herself with the affairs of this world, right? That they might please Him who has chosen them to be a soldier. That's the idea of that verse in 2 Timothy chapter 2. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, the Bible reveals that the Lord God took man. By the way, incidentally, he took man before, before the fall. Because a lot of people says, oh man, Adam and Eve, they blew it. They blew it, man. We got to work by the sweat of our brow all the days of our life. Well, guess what? Before the fall, God took man and put him in the garden. And what does the Bible says? He put him in there to dress it and to keep it. I.e., God said, you're not to sit idly by. You're to be doing my business. I'm the master, you're to be doing the master's business. You're to dress it and keep the garden. In James chapter 2, the Bible says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. But look back in our main passage in Deuteronomy chapter 1, because the external circumstances 
that had previously halted the children of Israel are very plain for us to see. Look at verse 2. It says, There are eleven days' journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir unto Kadesh Barnea. And it came to pass in the fortieth year, in the eleventh month, and on the first day of the month, that Moses spake unto the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in the commandment unto them. You see, the plan of God was never for them to stay put at Horeb. But when you and I refuse to give up our so-called mountains of comfort, convenience, and safety, and security, sin, and isolation, and discouragement, depression, and fear, and on, we can just build a whole bunch of mountains that we never get around. We're like the children of Israel for 40 years going around the mountain of Oreb, just waiting. And so we have to understand this theology, if you please, of change. By the way, verse number 2 you see it? It indicates that the journey was how long? 11 days. It was an 11-day journey. It was, it was like us trying to get to the West Coast, right? And maybe back if you have a good car. That's it. There and back. This is the journey, 11-day journey that they were to make. And yet they were spinning their wheels because of fear and unbelief in the wilderness for 40 years. Have you ever spun your wheels? Have you ever spun your wheel in the wilderness? Sometimes I feel like we do that a lot. We spin our wheels in the wilderness because we are racked with fear and unbelief. <laughs> in fact, it's been said the definition, definition of insanity, you know the definition they say, uh, is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, which by the way, that definition is a little bit insane. But anyway, <laughs> the definition of an insanity, do the same thing over and over, expect a different result. Sir, if what you're doing is not working for you spiritually, then maybe it's time for a change. Gotten real quiet in here. Man, maybe, maybe, the, reason, maybe the reason you're not in fellowship with the Lord is because there's a problem with your fellowship with the Lord. Maybe you've allowed something to come between you and the Lord. By the way, if this ain't right, there ain't no way this is going to be right. I'm just telling you right now. If this ain't right, don't expect this to be right. You see what we live? We live in an age where everybody wants to get this right. They want to be politically correct. They want to be nice. They want to be loving. They want to try and do everything they can not to hurt anybody's feelings or not to offend. How about we get concerned about hurting God's feelings? We live in a time when we need people to stand up and preach and teach the Word of God. And yet as I look around, by the way, this was, this was something that came to my mind the other day. I don't see a lot of kids desiring to go to Bible college anymore. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to churches you think it's, uh, Joe was saying something about Wales this morning, about how all the churches closed down and now we're sending missionaries to Wales. They were a missionary mega uh, house, sending out missionaries all around the world. What's going to happen when pastors who are in the pulpits now are no longer able, or they retire, or they get discouraged and resign, or they have some other uh, moral failure? What's going to happen? Where is the next generation to stand up and teach and preach the Word of God. By the way, moms and dads, we need that type of help with children's ministry and youth ministry and everything. By the way, you can be a part of the process because God wants to use you right here, right now. 
And he wants to change you and to mold you into exactly what you should be for his honor and glory. But when fear replaces our faith, like it did with the children of Israel, we end up walking around mountains sometimes aimlessly. But it doesn't need to be that way. It doesn't need to be that way because I'm reminded of that story in Matthew chapter 17. Remember, Jesus had been up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He comes down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And the man had brought his boy to the disciples. They couldn't heal him. And on and on, you can read the story for yourself in Matthew chapter 17. But when we get down to verse number 20, it reminds me that this, this idea of fear doesn't have, doesn't have to have the victory over faith because Jesus said this. He said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed. In other words, if you have little faith, if you have baby faith, if you have a small measure of faith, he says that you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence from yonder place and it shall be removed and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Nothing. Let me ask a question. Who right now, think about it in your heart of hearts, you may be facing an impossible situation. Can I tell you nothing is impossible with God? But do we have the faith to trust God in this situation that we're dealing with? Oh, listen, there's no doubt that this Mount of Horeb was a holy place. But just like then, maybe we've become a little bit too comfortable with the so-called Mount Horebs in our life, individually and maybe even corporately. I think about Lazarus, everyone, just like Lazarus, everyone who believes and receives, listen, we're not only loose, but we're let go, we're set free. We need to be moving forward for the Lord. But I'm going to be honest, moving forward can be scary. Have you ever gone somewhere new? Hey, have you ever tried a new restaurant? Have you ever tried a new church? Maybe you're here today visiting and you came to this church, you're like, man, it's a scary thing going up on that hill. Why is that driveway so long? Couldn't they make the door a little closer to the road so if I need to escape, I can escape? Can I tell you, it's a scary thing sometimes going and visiting a church. But that doesn't mean it has to be final like that. Moving forward can be a scary thing. But moving forward is always about change. And with Christ, we can do the impossible Listen, in the Marine Corps, I was taught this phrase. The phrase in the Marine Corps, improvise, adapt, and overcome. Anybody ever heard something like that? You may have your own version of it. Improvise, adapt, and overcome. The idea of improvising means to be flexible. In fact, I remember at Paris Island, they said, hey, you boys just better learn to be flexible. Because what we do today isn't going to be necessarily what we do tomorrow. Now, there were certain things that were regimented. Don't get me wrong. But there were different training styles, different different modes of operation. And then even while I was in the Marine Corps and later in the Army, I had to learn to be flexible, to improvise, but also the idea of adapting. You know what adapting means? It means to expect the unexpected. As we go up from this place, it's okay to improvise and adapt. And listen, the last one is overcome. Obstacles come. Obstacles will come each and every day of your life. But it's how we handle those obstacles. You know, someone said years ago, do you look at them as obstacles or opportunities? Obstacles or opportunities. So we can improvise, adapt, or overcome. Earlier I stated the word of God and the gospel message never change. And that's true. Because Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, Paul says, It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes to the Jew first and unto the Greek. 
But if life has taught me anything, it's that things change. And as I said, I don't look the same. I physically don't feel the same as I once did. And so not only do things change, but times change. And we're living in a culture that's not very friendly. Can you say not friendly? We're living in a culture that's not very friendly towards those who possess faith in Christ. In fact, the sad thing is, maybe you've had this happen to you. You know, there are a lot of times I've talked with people who uh, make a profession in Christ, make a uh, statement of their profession, maybe get baptized, and their family wants to disown them. That's real. As our missionaries were saying last week, in Ethiopia, in Madagascar, right? He was talking about when people come to faith in Christ, many times their family, their family turns their back on them. And so it's a real thing. It can be scary. It can be scary exercising faith. But that's exactly what God wants us to do. Look at verse 7 and 8, and we got to wrap this up. Notice what the Lord says. See, because in verse 7 and 8, he's given them everything. He set them up for everything. He's given them everything. He's given them explicit instructions. And then in verse number 7 and 8, notice he says, Turn you and take your journey and go to the mountain of the Amorites and unto all the places nigh thereon. And he mentions them. He says, The plain, the hills, and in the vale, and in the south, and in by the seaside, and to the land of the Canaanites, and unto Lebanon, and unto the great river. In other words, it's like this. I look at it like this. It's like, here you are, and God is saying, Go everywhere, because I've given it to you. Go this way, go that way, go this way. Any which way you go into this land, it's yours. I've given it to you. And by the way, I promised it to your fathers long time ago. Notice what he says in verse 8. He says, Behold, I have set the land before you. Go in and possess the land which the Lord swear to your fathers. Folks, this is a call for them then to move out and to advance with the cause of of God. And by the way, you say, well, God's never given us that, that type of instruction. Yes, he did in Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus said, go ye. He said, get up and go into all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, teaching them to observe all things, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, right? Whatsoever I've commanded you. And then he says, lo, I am with you. How long? Always. Oh, listen. The Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the people of God who are walking by faith, people of God who are walking worthy of their calling. That's a message for another time. That's how we're going to make a difference in this world. We're going to make a difference. We're going to have a real impact on our community, our culture, our country, in this world. Can I just say something? And I shouldn't come as a shock to anybody. People need the Lord. And that's not something to get angry about. That's something we ought to be excited about. Like, hey, here's an opportunity. This person that I love, this person that I care about needs Jesus. And I want to show them that there's a better way than doing life according to me, myself, and I. And so people need the Lord. And if we have the answer, why would we not want to tell them? I don't get it. I don't get it. It's like, hello, here's your sign. People need the Lord and we have the answer. And yet many times... We'll just walk by them and never say anything. And then we get news. Hey, did you hear brother such and such or sister such passed away? And you're like, oh, why, why? God gave you about 50 or 60 opportunities throughout your life to share 
the love and the truth of Jesus with that person. I can't even imagine. Folks, spiritual status quo will never do. The theology of change means that nothing ever stays the same. Yes, the Word of God, God, the Word of God, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, they're, they're the same all the time. God is the same. But our God is an active God. Our God is an active participant in our lives. He's not someone just sitting back and, and looking and saying, oh, well, let them go to the wind. No, there are times and seasons that he allows things to take place, and there are times and seasons when he's trying to get our attention. The theology of change means that, as Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 13, that we need to be forgetting those things which are behind. and We need to be reaching forth unto the things which are before. Are we set up by sight? You ask yourself that question. Say, Lord, am I set up by sight? Am I hanging out around Mount Horeb? Well, God, am I walking by faith? God, if I'm, if I'm just living by sight, break my heart. Help me to exercise baby faith, as Jesus said. Help me to exercise a little dose of faith today. Help me to show my family what faith looks like because the good news is there's no journey that's too hard for God. Amen? He's still on His throne. He's not dead. God's not dead. And He's still able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. The theology of change is vital to our walk as believers. We need to be conforming more to the image of Christ. We need to be growing in the love and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we need to be representing Him well. We must continue to be changed and used by God and His Word. By the way, if you're here and you say, Pastor Greg, I'm just going to be real honest. I'm not going to raise my hand, but I'll be real honest. I want you to be honest with God, not really with me. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I've never been changed. I hear what you're saying. I've heard it all before. I've, I've, heard, I've heard gazillion messages about change, but I've never really been changed. If you're here and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you know that Jesus, and, and here's a crazy thing. Sometimes I think we know what Jesus did, but we like our life. We like that mountain of Horeb too much. We're like, man, it's, it's comfortable over here in Horeb. I like going around that mountain. Have you seen it? Right? If you've never trusted Christ, can I beg you today? If the Word of God has spoken to your heart and the Holy Spirit is moving in your heart right now, I'm asking you do not reject the Holy Spirit. I'm not asking you not to reject me because it's not me that changes anything. It's not my voice that changes anything. It's the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And so if the Spirit of God is moving in your heart, I'm asking you to call out on the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin, to be changed from the inside out. Maybe you're here today and you say, you know what, I trusted Christ years ago. But I'm going to be real honest. I've been, I've been circling the mountain. Maybe for 40 years. I've been circling the mountain. I know God wants me to do something. I know God wants me to do something, but I'm scared to do it. Because my family, I don't know what my family would think if I did it. If, if, I, if I did this, if I made this decision to follow Christ, if I made the decision to go to the mission field, if I made the decision to serve Jesus in some way, I'm not sure how my family would respond. Do you know what? It shouldn't really matter how they respond. It should matter how God responds. Because one day I'll not give an answer 
to my earthly father or earthly mother, but I will give an answer to my Lord. Amen? And so I encourage you, listen, the theology of change, it's not just for pastors and missionaries. It's for every one of us. And I hope that you'll do business with the Lord right now. Father, we love you. We thank you and we praise you for your holy name. God, this is such an important topic. As we endeavor to live by faith and not by sight, Lord, as we endeavor to conform more each and every day to the image of your Son, Lord, we know that's your plan. We know that's your desire. Lord, as we seek to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, God, we know that this takes faith. We know that it's going to be a process of change. Lord, sometimes that change doesn't seem comfortable. Sometimes it's scary. But Lord, I pray that you'll give us the faith to step out in faith. Lord, I pray this morning that if there's somebody watching or somebody in this room who's never called out upon the name of the Lord, that they'll simply just quietly unto themselves recognize their need by saying, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. That they'll quietly call out upon the name of the Lord understanding that it's only Jesus who has paid that debt to redeem them, to count them as justified and to positionally sanctify them, that they would call out on the Lord and that they would say, Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. I'm asking you to forgive me. I know that you have that power. I know that you have that ability. I know that your death on the cross paid a penalty that I could never pay. I'm asking you to forgive me. I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to begin this process of change in me. Lord, help me to always be changing. Help me to always represent you well. Help me to be growing. God, help me to honor you as your ambassador. Now, if you're here in this room and you say, you know what, Pastor, that's my prayer today. I ask Jesus to change me from the inside out. Would you just look at me? Grab my attention. Grab my attention. I want to celebrate with you. I want to pray for you. I'll not call you out. I'll not embarrass you. You say, that was my prayer. I'm asking, I'm asking you to pray for me, that you would pray for me today. Anybody in there? I'm making my way over. I see you, young man. I see you. God bless you. Somebody else. Maybe you're online, you're watching, and maybe this is the first time you have ever called out on the name of the Lord. The Word of God and the Spirit of God has drawn you and done a great work in your heart today. I'd encourage you to let us know that as well. Father, we love you. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house. God, I thank you for the theology of change. Not that your word changes, but God, that you change us. And that as you change us, things become new. God, we represent you well. Our beliefs lead to responses, and our responses lead to this, this impact that you're able to have through us and in us. Lord, I pray that you'll be honored and glorified during this time of invitation that we do business with you while you're near. We'll give you the praise for all things. For it's in Jesus' precious and powerful name that we pray and for his sake. Amen and amen.